Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I get to lead alongside of my wife, Lee, and we're glad that you are here, whether you're in the room or you're engaging online. I want to hit a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, The first one is, can we give our production team just a a round of applause? Because our projector, I don't know if you noticed was like going super haywire, and so they're in there trying to solve the problem, and, uh, and I'm grateful for them, because sometimes we notice them when things go wrong, but when things are good, we're like, oh yeah, it's just, this stuff just happens. No, it doesn't. It happens because they're behind the scenes working tirelessly, so we're grateful for them. The second is, as of tomorrow, uh, there will no longer be mask mandates, and so I just want to speak from a pastoral and leadership perspective. Uh, as a church, we want to be really clear This is a judgment-free zone, whether you wear your mask or you don't wear your mask. If you want to wear your mask forever, go for it. If you don't want to wear your mask, we we love you no matter what. So uh, I just want to be clear on that in case there's any part of you that feels pressure one way or the other. This is not that place, okay? We're in a series called The Way of Jesus. We're working through the Gospel of Luke. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, And John, four different perspectives, and so we've been looking at Luke. Luke doesn't just write Luke, he also writes the book called Acts, and so it's a two-parter. And we're looking at the way of Jesus through the lens of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 12. And I want to remind you, if you are familiar with Collective or you're brand new to Collective, that we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus, And so the reason that we're looking through Luke and taking a deep dive is because we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, and not just the person of Jesus, but also the way of Jesus, the new way of living, reorienting our life completely upside down from what we are used to. Luke 12, verse 34 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Wherever your treasure is... There the desires of your heart will also be. So today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about money and treasure and possessions and whether we have them or they have us. Now Jesus is speaking here, wherever your treasure is, this is money. I'm assuming not many of us are like pirates that have hidden treasure, right? We don't have the X marks the spot, but we do understand that all of us have money, We have possessions, we have things. And so what Jesus is speaking to is the idea that our money, our bank account, our budget reflects the desires of our heart, what is most important to us. For some of us, if we did an audit of our bank account, we'd realize that clothes were the most important thing in our life. I I like clothes, I wanna feel good. You go, you just, you look at how you spend your money, you're like, wow, I spent a lot on clothes. For some of us, it's food. You're like, I like to eat, and I definitely like to eat. 
And so you notice, like, okay, that seems to be where the desires of my heart are with my food and going out to eat or buying good food. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's technology. If you look at your bank account and you look at how you spend your money, you begin to discover how the desires of your heart are wired, the things that are the most important to you. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. God, I recognize for all of us that sometimes the, even the topic of money, we're like, ah, we're a little bit nervous, but we're reminded that you want to speak to us. And so, God, I don't come here as someone that has all these things to say. God, I, I come here trying my best to, to present what you are already saying. God, we look at your words. Jesus, we bring your words. And so I pray that you would be the one that speaks, that, that even the people in the room or the people engaging online would not, just, would not hear Tyler's thoughts, but instead would hear your words, God, speaking directly to our hearts. God, you love us, and you love us so much that you also don't want us to remain the same. So we invite transformation and change. God, renew us, renew our hearts, renew our minds. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. One of our, our great cultural sins, the, the sin that as a culture that we're really, really comfortable with, that we excuse, that we swim in, is consumerism. Ooh, as North Americans, we love us some consumerism. We love to consume. We love to buy into the lie that better is better, bigger is better, newer and shinier will make us happy. If we can just buy enough, if we can just accumulate enough, then we will fill this gaping hole in our life. If we can just buy new things, it'll bring momentary joy. And if we can time our consumption to be regular intervals, that we can kind of ride the wave of that joy. Now, all of us, we go, yeah, I don't know if that's a struggle for me, but you know it all too well. If you have one of these, if you have a smartphone, most of us, especially if you have an iPhone, if you have other brands, I don't know, maybe you're like, I don't care. <laughs> but if you have an iPhone, you know what it's like when you see the new announcement. Oh, there's a new iPhone. Oh, it has a slightly better screen, better pictures, it's faster, it has some, has some interest, it has a LiDAR, it, it, can, it can use lasers. I need that, like I need that now, I need it right now. And we buy into the marketing, right? We get that new iPhone, and what happens? And I've watched this, and it entertains me. We go, how many times can we pull it out when people are around? Like, oh, let me just, and people are like, is that the new iPhone? Yeah, I got it this week. Uh, <laughs> It was like, like $1,200, but it's so much better. And you're like, yeah? Yeah, totally. We're like, look how shiny it is. People are lusting over it. We are on it even more. But you know what happens? This brand new shiny iPhone that is so amazing? Give it a couple weeks and what is it? It's just a phone. Does all the things our other phone did. Maybe a little bit faster, but at a certain point, we don't notice it anymore. And yet we're drawn in. We're drawn into what, what happens. And we're thinking, okay, this will be so much better. This will improve my life. You know, I could very easily act like somehow I'm beyond this. I don't feel any of this. But honestly, I was prepping my message and I was typing on my MacBook Pro and going, there's a new MacBook Pro, isn't there? How much is it? And so I'm looking. Now, full disclosure, my computer works perfectly fine. Like, it's great. There's no issues. But I'm like, Ooh, this new one, though. 
But at the end of the day, what do I do? I get this new computer, and after a while, it's still just a computer. We swim in this water of consumerism all the time, and I think sometimes for us, the challenge is we're just not very aware of it. We're not aware of the lies that we buy into. Like, we notice the lies that marketing will say. Buy this thing, it will change your life. And everything will change our life. New shampoo will change our life. New phones will change our life. New TV will change our life. This new clothes, these random technology things that keep your back straight, whatever. It'll all change your life. I don't know if you were like me and you watch shows that you shouldn't have in the 90s, but um, shows like Maury that I think I just read after 31 seasons is canceled. You're like, it still exists? They would do these stupid lie detector things, and he would have this dramatic thing, and he'd be like, you said that this was, and the lie detector proof, that was a lie, right? Well, that's what we do with marketing. In our lived experience, we know intrinsically that's a lie, and yet we live like it's true. We buy into it, even though we found, like, how many of us have bought something thinking it will change our life only to realize it didn't do everything that it said it was going to do. There are things that make our life easier. It is an improvement when we get a car, not a bike. But at a certain point, like even we've had different cars, newer cars, and at some level, it's a a car that gets you around and you're just grateful it doesn't break down. But you get pulled into the lie. I, I know that I get pulled into that. I get pulled into this thing that I think that maybe if I just can buy more stuff that somehow I'll feel better. The problem is that this focus on consumption, this focus on consumerism, it stands in opposition to the way of Jesus. That this sense that if we can just buy something, it will make us feel better, stands in opposition to the message of Jesus, to the way of Jesus. And as Christians, if we actually want to be apprentices to Jesus, we actually need to wrestle with that lie. We need to wrestle with the lie that consuming and being a consumer will somehow solve the problems that we have and fix the holes in our soul that we have. It stands in opposition. Consumerism stands in opposition to Jesus, which makes sense why he spoke about money and possessions so much. See, sometimes we look and we're like, you know, the church talks about money a lot, and we want to make sure that that's not what we do, but Can we also just recognize Jesus talks about money a lot? Like, so if the church is talking about money at all, it's not because we are trying to do something. We're just going, okay, Jesus seemed to understand something we didn't. Jesus actually understands humanity. Like, I want to just remind you that Jesus is fully man and fully God. That Jesus was there at the very beginning. He was there when humanity was created. He understands us. So when he speaks about money, we should understand that he actually gets it, he knows our propensity, he knows our tendencies, and he wants to speak to us. Jesus knows how easy it is to move from having money and stuff to our money and stuff having us. He knows how quickly that happens. He knows how consistently that happens. And even 2,000 years later, how, how much we wrestle with that. In this, in this chapter, in Luke 12, Jesus addresses it. He spends a significant amount of time on it. And so I, I want to hit a couple of sections in this chapter, but I just want to set up. So 
Jesus is, he's speaking to people and someone rolls up to him and is saying, listen, we have a family member, my dad, who has a whole bunch of money and my brother won't split it with me and I'm upset. So someone comes to Jesus and he's asking, so we're talking about two like big landmines, money and family. And the guy's like, you fix it, Jesus. Like, you step into this. You resolve it. You tell him what to do. Sometimes that's what we do with Jesus. Like, you tell them what to do. I'm not going to, but you tell them. I'm not going to live like you, what you say is true, but you better confront them. And so Jesus is brilliant. Jesus sidesteps that and goes, yeah, we're not going to talk about what you think. We're actually going to talk about the heart. This is what Jesus does so well. He gets past the surface. He gets past the verbal, and he gets right to the heart, to the heart issue. And so he's speaking and he's describing what, what is called in the chapter a rich fool. Someone who thinks that tomorrow is guaranteed and makes money and possessions the center of their entire life. And then Jesus drops a bomb in Luke twelve fifteen. He says, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That line in itself is powerful for each one of us because we struggle. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, like, I like quotes. I like listening to other people as they wrestle with ideas and condense it and write it down. And, and so I, I listened to this or I, I read this passage and it reminded me of this famous philosopher Maybe you're familiar with him. He's incredibly famous. His name is Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Isn't that interesting? And you know what we do? We go, uh, hold my phone, Jim. Let me, try my, let me try for myself. Let me test that theory. Oh, you've done it. Like you've made millions of dollars and everyone knows you and says you're amazing. But, and you're saying that was not enough. But we go, I need to find out for myself. And we go, I would never do that. But we are living like that. I find that pull in me where I'm like, are you sure, Jim? Are you sure? It's so fascinating to me that you have someone like a Jim Carrey who's actually saying something that Jesus tried to tell us thousands of years ago. He's saying, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And notice this, guard against every kind of greed. I want to remind you that guarding is not a passive thing. Guarding is active. You don't just carelessly guard something that's important. If you are guarding, you are attentive. You are paying careful attention. But this this speaks to every kind of greed. This is not just a rich person's problem. And it's easy for us to do that. We're like, you know what? Uh, I don't have very much, but they have, very, they have a lot, and so clearly they're greedy. Greed is a state of heart, not a state of our bank account balance. We can be incredibly greedy, and I've learned this. We can be incredibly greedy and have very little. Greed is about us going, I'm so fixated on what I have and selfishness, and I just need to hold it and hold it and hold it. Well, that, whether you have a ton or a little, you can have that perspective. You can have that posture. So we don't get to excuse it and go, well, you know, I don't have very much 
money, so this isn't really a problem. This is a human problem. This is a, a desire for us. This is a, a challenge, a tension in our hearts as Christians. As apprentices of Jesus, this is an area where we can find ourselves pulled in a different direction. It's this whole reminder and invitation. Either you have money or money has you. Either you have stuff or your stuff has you. Jesus is reminding us that this is not for someone else. This is not just for Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. This is for each one of us. But he also reminds us that money represents misaligned priorities. That money is not the, the be-all and end-all, but it is an indicator. In verse 21, he says, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You can gain the whole world, but not have a rich relationship with God, the one that you actually, so that, that hole in your soul is not looking for more stuff, it's looking for God. It's looking for him to speak truth into your life, for him to give you the identity that you're looking for in other ways. And so some of us can have lots of stuff or money or operate in this closed-fisted hand-holding and not actually have a rich relationship with God. And it's interesting to me because it doesn't just say and not have a relationship with God. So you could have a relationship with God. You could have a distant one, an okay one, but, but not a rich one. Not the kind of relationship where everything is centered around God. Where everything is passionately driven through this lens of understanding who you are and who you belong to and who God is. You can float through life having a relationship, but not a rich relationship. And the invitation from Jesus is not to settle for something less. It's not to, to go and just float through life. It is this rich relationship. And notice even the word here, rich. Like it's Jesus who is a master of language is talking to us, speaking to us and saying, you think you understand the meaning of true riches. What I want for you is a rich relationship with God. We can so easily settle into a rhythm where our life does not put God at the center. And let me just remind you, the creator of the entire universe desires closeness with us. And what do we do? We find ourselves going, yeah, that's nice, God but I got to make some money here. This is my focus, not you. And I just want to encourage you, that is not how God designed you. And you'll continue to find yourself trying to put things in, going, how come it seems to fall short? Some of it exposes some areas for each of us. Like we don't see God as the center of our joy and our contentment. God is not the locus point of all of the things in our life that are great and wonderful and holy. Instead, functionally, we see money and stuff as the object of our focus. And what ends up happening is comfort becomes our focus instead of calling. And so we choose comfort rather than calling. We go, I want this, this, this. And God goes, I want more for you. And go, yeah, maybe uh, once I get my money right. Like maybe then I'll actually do it. The problem is that that is not the way of Jesus. When money becomes the object of our affection and focus, the challenge is it also becomes the object of our worries. 
When money becomes the object of our affection and, and focus, it also becomes the center of all of our worries. And so we just end up almost like doubling down where we're going, I need more, I need more, and it creates more worries and more stress and more concern. And, and I recognize, like you even might be hearing, hearing me or the great Jim Carrey and going like, you don't know, which is true. Like I don't know your bank accounts, that's good. I don't know how you spend your money. I don't know all the details, but I do know that Jesus actually has a better way of living for us. And I do want to remind you that these are not my words. These are Jesus's words as he invites us into something better. Jesus speaks precisely to this, the tendency for money to become the center of all of our worries and our tension and our focus. In Luke 12, 25, he says this, can all your worries add a single moment to your life. And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big things? Here's what I know. I know we can spend our whole life in church. We can read the entire Bible front to back. And we can hear something like this and go, yeah, but how? Like, why is it so hard? Like, I, I know that. You're saying, okay, worry can't do anything, but it's so hard. I find myself pulled into this direction of worry, and especially around money. Why do I find myself worrying about money? Why do I find myself worrying about what I have and, and, and where, things, where things are and where I stay? Why do I find that? Well, Jesus is telling us that, that money, unlike anything else, exposes us. It exposes the level of trust and faith we actually have in God. Because we can say it, oh, God, I believe in you, I trust you. And he's like, okay, so uh, trust me with your money. You're like, whoa, not that. But everything else I'm good with. Money has a really interesting way of getting to the root. It kind of strikes a nerve for each one of us. And in Luke 12, 29 to 33, Jesus says, and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Here we find again this whole don't worry. I've been on a, a journey even just in terms of worry and, and all the things that you might worry about because for me, that's an that's a easy place to live in. I, I look back at my life and even as we've done counseling where I'm like, oh, so I, what I felt like when I felt like my heart was not beating properly, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. That was anxiety. <laughs> and I'm like, I've lived that and, and not known what it was, and I find myself at times letting my life actually be marred by worry. And I was thinking a lot in my own life, part of it is because I'm wired to see ahead. I'm wired to think vision and to go, God, where are you leading us to? And part of what worry does is it forces you to live in the unknown future rather in the, than in the present. Because worry is all about like, well, what might happen? And this might happen. And this, it might go here. If you, if you want to not do that, like if you're going, oh, that's an area for me, Lee is brilliant. Lee is brilliant. Because Lee lives in the present. So like Lee, I go, okay, so what about this and then this? And I'm thinking, and she's like, yeah, let's just take it one step at a time. And I go, no, because <laughs> my brain is thinking 27 steps. And, and this is true when it comes to our money. 
We live in this future place that robs us of any kind of joy in the moment or any kind of sense of, what could I do now? Like we go, I can't, and this is never going to happen, and everything's going to be awful, but what could I do right now? What happens when we worry and worry and worry, especially about money, is we, we live in the possible future and not actually seeing the, the opportunities in the present. We make choices to live in a way that demonstrates that we don't actually trust God. And I, I want to just remind you that that worry does expose areas where we don't trust God. I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware that the moments that I notice I'm worrying are also moments of indicators that are going, why don't you trust me? And you're like, well, because what if you don't come through? What, what if I have to force it so you don't trust me? This is why, again, money is hard because then you're confronted with, do you trust God? And you're like, am I a bad Christian? Like, what is that? All of us have areas like this, but let's not ignore them. Like, let's just not go, ah, it's just, like, I don't get to say, this is just for me. I don't get to go, well, you know, I'm vision-oriented, so I think about the future. So, yeah, I just worry. No! I get to actually do an inventory, go, do I trust God or not? Do I trust that he'll give pictures, he'll give a sense of where we're going, but not all the pieces along the way, so I actually have to take steps with him? Like, we don't get to just live in that and go, that's just my cross to bear. It's actually a massive invitation for us to grow. And I want to tell you and remind many of us that God can be trusted. I have experienced it. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I'm 36 years old, and I've watched how God continually shows up. We have people in our church that have walked with God longer than that, and they've seen, they've seen how God has shown, has shown up. God will provide for us, and God does take care of what we need, but not what we want. Like, sometimes we conflate the two. We're like, um, God, you should just give me whatever I want. I need it. Us using the word doesn't change it. I need this brand new car. You're like, no, you don't. You want the brand new car. I need to go in debt so I can buy this thing. And you're like, no, you just want it, and you want it right now. God does provide for us, but he does not give us what we want all the time. Sometimes he does, but if we walk to him and go, you're gonna, your job is to be genie Jesus, genie God, and give me everything I want as long as I recite the prayer perfectly, we will be sorely mistaken and miss Jesus in the midst of it doesn't mean that God is going to pad our bank account. It doesn't mean that he's going to give us everything that we want. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes there are people that are praying with a need. And they're going, I just need, God, I need money for groceries. Like, I just, I don't know how I'm going to even cover my mortgage. And sometimes rather than God just miraculously adding a bunch of zeros to their bank account, God puts on the heart of another Christian, hey, you need to go give that person money. Hey, you need to actually go and in obedience, give, drop an envelope. You don't have to make it about you, just drop an envelope. And it, it, it's often like a random number that you're like, I don't know, I just feel like I should do this. And so we, as Christians, get to be the answer to someone else's prayer. We can be on either side of that. There are some times that we're like, how is this gonna work 
and what God is, what we don't understand is that God is working in other Christians to go, um, I'm going to meet the need, but I'm going to use my people to do it. Sometimes for us, we want quick. You ever notice this where you have a need and you're like, I want quick. I want you to do it immediately. And so we force things, we rush things, and we don't understand that also sometimes God wants to work in us before he wants to do something for us. That's hard. Like, let there, there's no part of me that goes, so just live like that. Like, that's hard because you're going, what are you up to? Sometimes we shortchange it. Sometimes we, we overextend. Sometimes we live in a way that we don't actually embrace growth. We just settle back into our own patterns. We just do our own things. Sometimes God wants to do more than that. He doesn't want to just rescue you from your one situation. He wants to put you on a different direction. God can be trusted. But it's important to remember that he does not operate like we do. And so we can trust him, but we also understand that he is beyond our understanding. And so we don't always know why he does what he does. I want to remind you that God is wise, way more wise than each one of us. And I think when it comes to our money, we have an opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to choose. Do I want to live this way of wisdom, or do I want to live the way of worry? Do I want wisdom to drive my decision-making or worry? Like, for example, some of us are worrying about money. Even right now, we're stressing about money, and we're not sure how we're going to have money, and we need more money, and what about our money? And, and we don't even have a budget. Like, we don't even know where our money's going. It just seems to be gone. Poof. Well, wisdom would indicate, what would it look like to actually evaluate? Where's my money going? Like, where am I spending my money? I've had this in seasons where Lee and I were like, where did that go? And it's like, yeah, because we took, okay, no, I say we. I, <laughs> I took like 18 trips to Shoppers Drug Mart for a few things, usually chocolate. <laughs> and I'm like, how did we... And you know what's really interesting? If you go to Shoppers Drug Mart 20 times and spend $20, that's $400. And we look at our bank account, we're like, how was I doing that? And like, I know this. Like, it's very rare that I look back and go, that was a great investment. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm really thankful I spent that money. This is the beauty of a, a budget. Like, I think it's just important for us to actually look at our money because you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that we actually have more than we realize. We just aren't spending it very wisely. We look back and go, huh, if I reorient some of how I'm spending and I prioritize things, then I won't worry in the same way. Now, a budget, again, is a present thing. It's not a future thing. Well, if I could just somehow, and then I could, no, you're going, I can right now look at my budget, work through my bank account and go, I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I was. Or maybe you look and go, now I'm clear on what some next steps are. Now I know there's a, a measure of actual control that we do have. Some of us, we do, we just spend like, like every cent should not stay with us. We're like, ah, just buy more stuff. And I think sometimes what I, what I notice, and, and I'll say in my own life, but I think in many of our lives, is I think it's indicative of something greater. It's not even about the money necessarily. It's about a lie that we're believing. It, it, it's this consumerism. We buy, 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 hoping that at some point if we just buy enough that we'll feel better. Like that was, it's like a running joke in our family where 
uh, especially in a, in a challenging season where, um, like, I just wasn't, exp- I wasn't very joyful. And I was talking to Leah, I was like, where do you notice, when do you notice that I'm happy? And she's like, when you eat chocolate. I was like, can I go buy chocolate? And so, like, that's one of those months I bought a lot of chocolate. Now, here's the problem. I wasn't dealing with the problem. I was just medicating it with food. I was like, I'll buy this. It'll make me momentarily happy. And then tomorrow, I need more. Some of us, we're not actually looking at what matters. We're looking at all these other things and going, huh, there's some things here and some patterns here that we actually need to address. And when we live with wisdom at the center, we find ourselves operating with a whole lot less worry. Like we actually notice that we have some measure of understanding of our situation and go, you know what, I think there's a way forward. I I want you to know that that can be a holy thing. Like even you establishing a budget and knowing where your money goes can be a a spiritual exercise. Because it's God's invitation to go, I want you to be a better steward of what I'm giving you. Jesus continues in verse 31 and he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. If our pursuit of money and stuff takes precedent over our pursuit of following Jesus, giving our life to God, we find ourselves in trouble. We find ourselves harming our lives without even realizing what we're doing. Like, think about the the conversations. If you spend any time on any kind of social media or YouTube, like you're constantly hearing side hustle, passive income. How do I make more money? How do, I, how do I make my money work for me? And so you end up taking that and going to the absolute extreme where you're like, I have to do more, get more, make more, go more, 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 more. And then we find ourselves going, man, I don't feel like this is contributing value to my life. I feel like I'm just chasing this mirage. I feel exhausted. I feel worn out. It's success at all costs. I want to be really clear. There is nothing wrong with making money. There is nothing wrong with working hard. Those are, those are neutral things. You work hard, you make money, great. That's amazing. But if all of your time is spent on that, you are missing something. And here's the problem that I think, is I think if we took half, a quarter, an eighth of the energy we poured into all the other things and actually invested it in God, our life would be completely different. But instead, what happens? God gets our leftovers. We're like, well, God, I'll take it from here. I need to do this. I need to make sure I'm good. I need to do extra and more and more and more. And God goes, hey, uh, creator of the universe here, um, I actually understand how you're designed better. If you came to me, I would show you how to take a real rest and show you what it means to follow me. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you go, no, you know what? I want the burden because I got to hustle and work. Do we not see the disconnect here? Like we see this part. I, I notice it in our culture and I'm going, it's a lie. Making money, fine. You want to make more. You want to be intelligent, fine. But do not let the other things become the center of your life. God at the center. Jesus at the very center. The way of Jesus in all other areas. And curiously, as we live like that, God actually takes care of the other things. And some of us go, I've tried that. Have you? Have you actually? Do you try it like one day and they're like, I'm back to worrying. This is my pattern. So I'm like, 
I'm like, okay, God, I believe that you've got it under control. And then the next year, like, are you still here? Are you still at work? Daily decision to choose the way of Jesus over the way of the world. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Follow the way of Jesus above all else. We see this in the way that Jesus lives. Like we talk about apprenticeship to Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. We see these things in Jesus' life. You know what he did? He started every single day with God. Now, how many of us, that's a struggle? Because you're like, I'll start with you, God, but first I need to just check my phone. Or I need to snooze my phone or whatever. And you go, I don't have time to spend time with you, God. But I do have time to binge watch every single series on every single streaming channel. And you're like, God, I just... This is not what we see with Jesus. We see a singular focus that because he focused on the kingdom of God, everything else was set into alignment in its proper place. Jesus at the center, God at the center as the focus, and everything else follows beyond that. And then Jesus drops the line that we started with, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How we spend our money, unlike anything else, exposes. It exposes us. And I don't know what you're like, but I don't really enjoy being exposed. Like I look at areas in my life that God tries to expose, and I'm like, hi, I'm like Adam and Eve with the leaves. Like, just get the leaves and hide it. Make it look nice. I find that. That's like the human tendency. The problem is that if God can't expose us and use our exposure, he can't heal us. You can't heal something that's all hidden up. If my kids get cut, I can't put a Band-Aid on them while they're covering it up. I can't actually help and clean out all the garbage that has been in as they've tripped because they're trying to hide. This is what we do. We go, I don't want to be exposed. Money exposes us. But maybe we need to let it. Like maybe we need to actually allow God to expose what money is saying to us. Because the truth is, like, we don't really like to... to choose pain or discomfort, right? We're like, I don't want to do this difficult thing because it's hard. I'd rather do the easy thing, which is what gets us where we are. And that's the, that's the way that we live. And part of that is an illusion. Like we like this illusion of control. I have control, but you have less control than you think. And when we look at money and how it exposes us, it confronts us with the need to actually ask questions, to reflect to go, why do I do this? What am I trying to buy? What am I trying to do? And what consumerism does is it numbs us. It's like the next fix. Just buy a few things. I feel momentarily better. I avoid my pain. I avoid my questions. I avoid my confrontation. I don't feel exposed. And now I'm good. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the invitation that Jesus is giving us, me, us, all of us. The invitation that he's giving is going, let me expose what your money is saying about you so that I can heal you, so that I can get to the bottom of what you're trying to do. Like, what, what is it? Are you sitting there going, if I can just buy enough stuff, then I'll feel like I'm valuable, if I can just make enough money, then I have someone else affirming that I am worthy. 
Like, then my bank account will give me stability. Is it that I'm so afraid that things might go sideways, and so it, it helps me to feel like I can be my own version of God and control and control and control? What is that? Is it that I think that I just, I want distraction? For us to actually, not just hear even me saying that, but before God go, what is it? Because each of us has things. Some of us in the room, you go, that's me. Like right now, I know there's exactly one thing, and I'm, I feel a little stuck with that. Here would be my encouragement. Even right now, I'd love to invite a couple of the prayer team to go to the back. If, if that's you, before I'm even done, like before I'm even done, go back and let someone pray for you. We can stand together and go. We don't have all the answers, but we can ask for God to help us, to show us, to guide us, to allow the things that are exposed to actually be healed and restored. Because the reality is that collective, I do want to say things that are, that for each of us, if Jesus is saying them, that are hard, but not just so you sit there and go, that was a really hard one. Well, back home. No, because I sit there and go, do not allow the lie that you will always be like that be the continuation. Allow Jesus to heal and restore the areas that are broken. Allow him to tell a different and better story in your life. All of us swim in the seas of consumerism, finding ourselves buying or spending money in a way that somehow always exposes the desires of our heart. If you notice that it's confronting some areas in you that you recognize I need to do something about, don't wait. Go to one of the prayer team and talk to them. Invite them to pray with you and for you. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I want to just highlight also as a church, why this is why as Christians we give. This is why we give to the local church. It's why we're generous. Because generosity is the most powerful antidote to greed. It's the opposite. Greed is hold, hold, hold. Generosity is give, give, give. Now, let me just be very, very clear. I would never be one of those people that would go, give, just keep giving. Give when God invites you to give. But if God has not given you an invitation to give in a little while and you know you have some margin, maybe it's possible you're not listening to him. Like, what does it look like to always be going, God, what are you inviting me to do? How are you inviting me to respond? What are you trying to challenge? Where are you offering wisdom in my life? Generosity is the most powerful antidote to greed. And I want to remind you, if you find yourself worrying about money or money is at the center, when money becomes the object of our focus and our affection, it also becomes the center of our worries. Let's put God back at the center. Let's follow G the way of Jesus in a way that puts God in his rightful place and everything else beyond that, reminding ourselves that we can trust God. Here's my invitation. It is not to listen to my words and go, uh, okay, well, Tyler said, my invitation is to talk to God and to ask God, God, what are you trying to do? I want to invite you even right now just to close your eyes and, and God, I want to pray. What, what are you trying to do with each one of us? Would you speak to us? Would you draw us closer and help us to know where you are trying to work? God, maybe it's that you are inviting us to do an inventory with you looking for areas that we struggle to trust you, that we worry, that we're, that we're focusing on things that are not you. Maybe it's a, 
an invitation to intentionality. Maybe the invitation that you're giving us right now is to find someone that can help us to set up a budget or figure out where our money is going or figure out what we actually have and a better way forward. We've operated in our own wisdom. God, we need yours. Maybe the invitation for us is surrender. God, you through your son Jesus remind us that our money highlights our priorities. God, help us not to just live like that doesn't matter, but instead to live in the way that you're inviting us to live. God, you love us. You never want to expose us to leave us exposed. You want to heal us. God, I pray for healing for people in the room. God, I am so grateful that you know us so well, that you want to meet with us and change our lives. God, if there are people in the room or online that have never made the decision to follow you, God, I pray that you would draw them to you and give them the courage to take a step towards giving their life to you, taking the first step of following you. God, as we worship, I pray that you would be the center of everything that we do. God, we love you so much. We are so grateful. I pray for miracles, even this week, miracles of provision where it made no sense, miracles of generosity where we are able to bless others, miracles of, of, your, of your care and the truth that we can trust you. God, we need you in all that we do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.